be continuing on in our summer series on the book of Acts, and today we'll be in Acts chapter 7. So if you get your Bibles and you want to be, uh, be turning to Acts 7, uh, that would be great. Uh, okay, so before we, to get into Acts 7, because it, it actually, the, the action in Acts 7 actually started kind of at the, right at the end of uh, Acts 6. So not going to reread it, just want to talk just real quickly a little bit of a review, right? So if you remember from last week, what had happened is the apostles had chosen seven men known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to serve in the daily distribution of food. One of the folks they had chosen was a guy named Stephen. Um, apparently, Stephen not only did his assigned work really well, okay, which was serving food, but while he was serving, Acts 6 verse 8 tells us that he also performed great wonders and signs among the people. Now this upset some of the up, kind of outsiders who brought Stephen before the Sanhedrin and they had to get some false witnesses to come in and make some accusation against the guy. Now let's just remember who Stephen was and who he wasn't. Now Stephen was not one of the 12 apostles. He was a layman. So he's, 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 he's a guy, he's just somebody like all of us, okay? He's a layman who has been recruited into the ministry of serving food, which, you know, was a kind of a fancy name for waiting on tables. Okay, but this was an important thing. And, and I'm, I'm always impressed when I read this to understand that Stephen, now think about it, if for most of us, if we're all honest, so let's just be real, real and honest for a minute, okay? If I said, I got a great assignment for you, I need you to help serve here at South Oaks. And you'd go, what's that? And I said, well, every Sunday morning I want you to stand out there and I want you to pour coffee for people. <laughs> well, now a few of us who like coffee a lot would say, praise God, right? You know, <laughs> I, I get first shot at all the coffee. But I mean, but you might go, you know, they, really? Okay, and here's the problem with that. It's because in, deep in our spirits, what we'd be thinking is, I'm better than that. I'm better than that, okay? But here's what happened is, but Stephen took it so seriously that, and did it so well that God honored it because then while he's out there on the front lines of the community serving food, God enables him to perform miracles and healings. So I think what's encouraging for all of us is, you know what, no matter what God calls you to do, whether you think it's a big deal or a small deal, if it's God's deal, it'll have power and he'll use you in a powerful and wonderful way. And so that was Stephen, okay? The other thing that's impressive to me about Stephen was he had learned the theological history of Israel and he could talk about it like in, in a very intelligent way and we're gonna see that here in, in chapter seven in just a minute. And then finally what we're gonna see is that Stephen was one of these rare folks who has the ability and the willingness to say hard things that need to be said because a lot of us sometimes shy away from that stuff. And finally, he was a man who was fully committed to living for God and defending his faith. Now, we're going to get into chapter 7 right now. So that's all about Stephen. He's been standing in front of the Sanhedrin. These false witnesses have said things against him. And now we pick up in chapter 7. And folks, I'm going to read you 50 verses. So stay with me. But we're going to work, work our way through it. I'm going to read fast. Okay, but hang in there with me. This is God's Word. I don't think we ought to shortchange God's Word. So then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? And to this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. 
the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to a land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on, but God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him, and he rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could find no food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem, and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and opposed and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born. He was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. And when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him in and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you're brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But one man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner, and he had two sons. After 40 years had passed... An angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sign. He went over to take a closer look, and he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, and I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? And he was sent to be ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel whom appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt, performed wonders and signs in Egypt, 
at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him in their own hearts and turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who had led us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. This was, that was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and, re, and reveled in it, in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon, and stars. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Do you bring me sacrifices and offerings? Forty years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have taken up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, the idols you made to worship. Therefore I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses, according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the, from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Now that's the end of the history right there. All of that was him recounting history to the Sanhedrin. Now he says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts, are ears, uh, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at his right hand at this. And then he said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Jesus, uh, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Isn't it interesting? Stephen's a follower of Jesus. He's been teaching and ministering and performing miracles in Jesus' name. All the same things that we'd seen Peter and John accused of. When they stood before the Sanhedrin. But once again, when he's dragged in, that's not what the Sanhedrin asks about. All they ask about is what the, the false witnesses had accused him of. And so it started out in verse 1 when they just say, are these charges true? Now, interesting thing to me is if, because most of I think all of you have been here all the weeks we've been in Acts. And if you remember, over the last few weeks, there have already been two, two trials in front of the Sanhedrin. 
And the first trial in chapter 1 ended with just them getting threatened, threats and then sent on. The second trial ended, it was in chapter 5, and Peter and John got flogged and then sent on their way. But now here we are in chapter 7 with Stephen facing charges that if they hold him to it, are going to get him stoned. It's, it's this escalating violence we can see. The, the Sanhedrin is more and more frustrated and more and more angry, okay? But once again, just like Peter and John, Stephen doesn't answer their question, okay? Stephen has things that God's put on his, put on his heart to say, and so he begins recounting Israel's history with his chosen people. And he, you heard he started with Abraham and where God sent him to a place he'd never been, and it goes on to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, you know, the sons and the head of the 12 patriarchs, right? And all of this, this stuff, the point that he's making is that, because, the, let's remember, the Sanhedrin had turned the temple into like an idol. It was like the only place where anything could happen. And what God, what he's doing in recounting all this is he's pointing out that God's blessings and God's promises have never been location dependent. Okay, it's never been location dependent. God is way bigger than any building, and, or even a piece of land. God, and for you and me, God can save you, bless you, provide for you anywhere and at any time. So it goes on and on, and he talks about Moses, and then David. You know, because David wanted to take the, the, uh, the tabernacle and he wanted to turn it in. He wanted to build God a building. And God finally allowed Solomon to do it, but he told David not to do it. Okay, the, the, the common theme through all these people that he talked about was these patriarchs, who we call patriarchs of the faith, where these were people who had this deep, ongoing, living relationship with God. They, would, they were talking to God, they were listening to God, but the, the thing that made them special was when God spoke to them, they not only listened, but they obeyed. They heard God's voice. In contrast to that is the behavior and the beliefs of this current religious leadership, the Sanhedrin. Remember, Stephen now is standing in front of a group of people that hasn't had a fresh word from God in over 400 years. So, the issue that Stephen was calling out, like I said, was that they had turned the temple into being an idol. Okay, and, and, and that's not good. And, and you know, but that was the, what was, you know, out, that's what everybody was told, okay? Yet, you know, in Isaiah 60, 66 verse 2, uh, it's, the prophet said that these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Now, it, it doesn't say anything about only people who pray at the temple. Only, only, only people who, you know, bring the right, you see what I'm saying? It, th that's what he says. And remember, even late, Jesus had confronted the same thing. If you recall the story of the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, 19 and 20, the woman said to him, Sir, I can see you're a prophet, talking to Jesus. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem, that meant at the temple. Stephen was making it clear to them in his testimony when they said, are these charges true, that these guys had it all wrong. They had they, think about what they had done. This God who can, who can meet any need anywhere, at any time, no matter what it is, they had reduced God down to neatly fit him in their box. It was all very convenient and profitable and tidy. 
and totally under their control. No messy stuff. Think about it. If everything about you fit their, their man-made rules, then come on in. You're welcome. But if you've got messy stuff going on in your life, and a lot of us would say, if not right now, we've had messy stuff going on in our lives, okay, then those issues you're dealing with make you not look and fit the part that they wanted. So you're not welcome. Don't come in. Unfortunately, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, had totally missed when Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At this point, Stephen's testimony shifts from this kind of review of history to making it really personal to the Sanhedrin. And so you heard in verses 51 to 53 when he, he says, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have murdered and betrayed him. You who received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. God was speaking to the Sanhedrin through Stephen. And you know, I really don't think it was spoken like yelling or shouting or angrily. I really think Stephen spoke to them through the voice of a broken heart. And then in verse 56, Stephen says, Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Well, this time there was no opportunity for the mediating voice of Gamaliel to come in and say, guys, let's, let's, let's think about this. This time, when the Sanhedrin heard this, the only way to say it is they literally went nuts. Did you hear it? It says when they heard this, they think about, this is a bunch of grown adults, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. They literally went nuts. And then we, as we read, just prior to Stephen's death, he prayed out loud, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and don't hold this sin against him. And he died. Now, I think I can say with pretty good certainty that none of us here in this room have had our faith tested this severely. Not to the point of death. Okay, but we may have had it tested in some other ways, like work, or I was thinking of one other place it can get tested is like at family gatherings. <laughs> I just thought I'd bring it to one. If, in case you haven't caught it at work, <laughs> I thought of one that just I knew would cover everybody here. Fair enough? 
Okay, but the, the, look, the point being, what we have is an example of Stephen, okay, who, who literally paid the ultimate price for his faith. And you know, that could be us one of these days, could be, okay, but, but, but at least for now, there are times when our faith is tested and challenged. When we have a moment during the day, no matter where we are, where we either can speak on behalf of our faith and on behalf of God, or we can back up and remain invisible and silent. And so the, the choice for us is, is when we are in those situations about what should we do? And, and so we talk about, well, how do we defend our faith? What, you know, how do we defend it? And, and you know, in, in the world, we tend to think of defense, you know, like people say the best defense is a good offense. Okay, well I, well, I get that, okay, but that can be a little misleading to us, I think, and send us kind of on the wrong, because usually for most of us, when we say offense, offense equals aggressive. Offense equals fighting, okay? So, so let's today, let's look at what Scripture would tell us about Stephen and how he would approach defending his faith and how it might apply to us as well. When we look at how, how would we defend our faith. And the first thing that we would see when we're challenged is don't answer in anger. Don't answer in anger. And that's not only just about your faith. For any of us that have ever had a relationship, whether it's a good friend or a, a spouse or anyone else, you might agree with me. I've probably gotten myself in more trouble over the years when I answer rather than respond. Now, there is a big difference, okay? Answering is, it's kind of like, you know, the, if you kick me, I kick right back. That's that knee-jerk reaction to whatever. Responding, at least in the world, it's kind of like, you know, you hear it, you kind of go, and then you sort of take a beat, catch your breath, and think, okay, I won't do that. Okay, you know, and then you come back, and then you respond. Okay, so I just want to suggest that when our faith is challenged, the first thing we do is we don't answer in anger. Because that'll just get us in deeper trouble, it'll cause more trouble, and it won't do any good. Okay? Uh, we want to respond. You know, the, the reason we tend to answer in anger, the reason we tend to, to, to kind of defend ourselves with that quick answer, actually is, is less about we're offended for God and more that it's our own pride. Because what it really is, is we don't think we should be treated that way. Okay, so, so let's remember, we don't want to answer in anger. You know, Romans 3, excuse me, Romans 12 verse 3 says it really clearly for all of us. It warns us, it says, don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought. That's what a lot of us, we can tend to do. We think we're all pretty cool. We're pretty good. Okay, and, and this is just reminding us, don't do that. But then in 2 Timothy 2.25, he actually tells us what to do. It says, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Think about it. He's saying they can escape from the trap the devil has sent, but it's not up to you to like yell it out of them. It's, no, I mean, think about it. It's not up to you to like, you know, I mean, even if that's not physical, we do this verbally, right? I mean, you know, we don't actually grab them, but this is how we treat them verbally. 
And, and, and so he's saying, don't do that. That's not going to work. Okay? Gently instruct them. And then let the Holy Spirit come in and, 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 and tell them. Okay? So when Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin, it tells us in Acts 6.15 that his face was like the face of an angel. Let me tell you, if you're angry and yelling, your face doesn't look like the face of an angel. <laughs> So that's a real test right there, okay? If, you're, if it's red and hot, it isn't, you don't look like an angel, okay? So, but I will tell you this, and I really believe this with all my heart. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit and our lives are living in alignment with God's plan for us, our faces look different. Our faces look different. I really believe that. I really believe that. You know, I'll I, I just give you a little side thing for you to think about sometime. On your way to work some morning, if you want to if, if kind of rattle the day and, and, and give yourself a really unique day, here's a prayer. I want to challenge you to pray. And then tell me what, what happened. If it's nothing, tell me. But okay, say, Lord, today, fill me up so much with your Holy Spirit that when I'm walking around at work today, when people that I know, people that, I, you know, that I've seen, for, I, that people I know, when they look at me today, let them see you. Let them see you when they look at me. I want to tell you, you'll have a different day. Okay? Your face literally looks different, shining with the light of God in contrast to the darkness of the world. Remember in Exodus 34, verse 29, when Moses had been up on Mount Sinai getting the law and he came back down, okay, it says when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he'd been with the Lord. Okay, I found this interesting. Isn't it interesting that the guy standing accused in front of the Sanhedrin. Remember the, the part of the false accusation the guys had made back in the chapter before was he wants to change the customs of Moses. Okay, so isn't it interesting that the guy being charged with wanting to change the customs of Moses is the only person this group, the Sanhedrin, has ever seen in their life whose face actually shone like Moses's. So, when you're called on to defend your faith, don't, don't answer in anger. Second thing, do listen to the Holy Spirit and then respond. Our job isn't to argue. Never is. Our job is to speak the words that God gives us to say, and he will. And, and I think that's a hard thing for us sometimes to actually believe, to actually have confidence in. Fortunately, Scripture promises it. It's not just a, a hope. Matthew 10, 19 really clearly says, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. In every area of your life, just ask God, give me the words to say. And it'll, it'll, it'll affect your tongue, it'll affect your speech, and it will give you power. Now, I realize that what we all like are 
answered prayers with happy endings, mm -hmm. at least what our version of happy endings are. Okay. Now today, it's a little different. In Stephen's case, the words that he was given to say did not lead to his release like it had to the previous two trials. In fact, if anything, it hastened his death because it said they covered their ears and yelled and they, you know, they, they dragged him out. But Stephen lived right up to the end in full obedience in God's plan for him. So in defending your faith, you always want to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But here's the last thing. When you're called on to defend your faith, be confident that God is with you. On the worst day of your life, God's going to be with you. On the hardest day of your life, in the middle of the most difficult moment or situation or trial that you're in or your, your friend of yours is in, no matter what it is, God is with you. God is with you. At the completion of his testimony, we all heard the Sanhedrin was furious at him because he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, it says that that same power as, the, as God exerted in strength when he raised Christ from the dead. And it says, and then it seated, he seated Christ at his right hand. Okay, so, so we have Ephesians telling us that when God raised Christ from the dead, okay, he seated him in heavenly realms. Yet, yet Stephen says, I see Christ standing at the right hand of God. I have a question for you. Why do you think Jesus was standing? Why do you think he was standing? He was so happy with Stephen's behavior. What else do you think? He was standing to receive him. Yeah. Any other reason you think of? It says, I'll be with you. He wanted, right? A, a sign of respect. I mean, a sign, I, I think Jesus saw. I mean, we know from Scripture that Stephen was the first martyr to die for his faith. But he's not the only. And I don't think Stephen was the only guy that Jesus ever stood up for. Okay? I think what Jesus did is he said, he said, here's a man who has been listening to my voice and he's been obedient to me. And today he's stood up and he hasn't gotten angry and he's, he's responded in love and he's spoken the words that I've given him. And today what I'm standing up for is I see they're already stoning him. And this isn't going to end the way Stephen might have thought the day would end, except it ended better because what he saw was Jesus there to welcome him home. Man. Wouldn't it be great? I think that's right there where when the scripture says that we would one day hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
enter your master's reward. I mean, I think it was right there. I think he stood up, and I think if Stephen had told us more, he would have said Jesus held out his hand. Because when Stephen saw, when Stephen saw that, it just, he didn't say anymore. It just says, he asked, he asked God to forgive him. Just like Jesus did on the cross. And he just breathed his last breath. And he went to be with him. Like I said, on the worst day of your life, be confident. God will be with you. Deuteronomy 31.6 reminds us to be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified because of them, whoever them is for you. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That's a promise you can count on. Would you guys stand with me? Let's, we'll get ready to close. Look, all of us have, at one way or another, at different times, we've had our faith challenged. We've all had experiences of calling out to God. And, you know, a lot of times it's when we're in a jam and, you know, we, we need some help right now. I think a lot of us would give testimony that says we've, we've seen God intervene in our lives a lot of times. I think we would all have a lot of examples we could give and a lot of testimonies if we took the time to do it for times when God has absolutely been there, kept us safe, met a need, healed us miraculously or through our doctors. Either way, it's God, but we, he has seen us through. The real question for us today is not does God answer prayer, because we'd all agree he does. We, we all got too many examples in our own lives of knowing that's true. The real, the real question for us today is are, are we ready to defend our faith if called on to do so? And again, not in the aggressive way the world would think of it, but in the way Stephen exemplified for us, in the way of, of answering, of responding with what's on God's heart in love and remembering that God would be with you. If you just close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment, just examine your own heart to say, you know, today, if you were called on, would you be ready to stand confident and committed to defend your faith in that way, no matter the cost? If you would, raise your hand. Just, it's a, it's a, today, yeah. Today, Lord, you've seen our hands, you know our hearts. Father, we love you. God, you have been so good to us and so faithful over the years. Today, God, we want to be faithful followers of you. Lord, we want to stand firm in a world that's shaking. We want to be pillars of light in a world of darkness. And Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom when confronted, Lord, by people in our lives. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help us Lord, to not answer in anger, but respond in love, listening to the Holy Spirit. 
speaking the words that you would give us, confident that you are with us. Lord, I just want to thank you also, Father, for using us. Lord, like Stephen, Father, uh, in the midst of his daily duties, Lord, he, uh, he saw the opportunity to bring your light and your love to people in, that were in his path. Lord, I pray that we would always be faithful, Father, to bring your light to those around us. And so, Lord, today we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.